a major development here this evening at the White House. The President of the United States has terminated the director of the FBI, James Comey. I talked to White House President. President Trump's firing of James Comey, the man in charge of investigating whether his campaign colluded with Russia to interfere in the U.S. election, was an unprecedented moment in American history. But is it a constitutional crisis? Welcome to Omnia, the podcast on all things pen arts and sciences. The term constitutional crisis has been used a lot recently in response to controversies swirling around the Trump administration. Roger Smith, the Christopher H. Brown Distinguished Professor of Political Science and a presidential historian and constitutional scholar, offers his take on why the firing of James Comey, as well as Trump's use of executive action and social media, is challenging the balance of power in Washington. Well, the nation is not in a constitutional crisis at the moment, but there is a potential for constitutional crisis. It has been a problem for a number of years that the polarization of American politics has led to gridlock at the national level, and that has forced presidents, uh, even those who didn't want to rely heavily on executive orders, as Barack Obama didn't at first, but then uh, the fact that after the Republicans took over Congress, he couldn't get anything through meant that he relied on uh, executive orders more and more and did push the constitutional boundaries of executive power if he didn't uh, indeed violate them. And we thought that that might change under Trump because uh, Republicans are now in control of both houses of Congress, the Supreme Court, most of the state legislatures. It seemed like we wouldn't have that gridlock. We might have other problems, but it wouldn't be a problem of gridlock. But two things have occurred. Uh, One is uh, that we do have a president who's used to being a CEO and who uh, is used to doing things by unilateral executive action and who wants to show that he alone is fixing all the problems. So he's very attracted to using executive orders uh, to get things done, inexperienced in working with Congress. And it also turns out Uh, that the uh, Republicans are in control of Congress, but they're not in control of themselves. They're deeply divided on what to do on a lot of issues, uh, at least sufficiently, so that uh, the Democratic presence in the House, and particularly the Senate, can prevent measures from going forward. And so that reproduces the scenario of gridlock in which a president uh, feels inclined to take unilateral action. Um, Therefore, we are seeing continuing and heightening problems of an executive overstepping the bounds of the separation of powers, or at least persistently pushing against them. Let me ask you, should I keep the Twitter going or not? Keep it going? I think so. You know, the enemies keep saying, oh, that's terrible. But, you know, it's a way of bypassing dishonest media, right? We go, wah, wah. President Trump's unconventional use of social media has distinguished him from other presidents. Smith discussed how this direct communication with his constituency affects Trump's ability to govern. There is a striking pattern in American politics into which Trump fits in significant measure, and that is that 
new technologies have made it possible for presidents to establish a kind of direct relationship with the people that they didn't have at the beginning of the republic, at the beginning of the United States. It was considered poor form for presidents actually to go out and campaign and give anything more than ceremonial speeches. They communicated to Congress. They did not speak directly to the people. It was Woodrow Wilson that did the most to establish the pattern that the president would speak directly to the people, and he did use it to claim broad powers, uh, especially in foreign policy, but also in domestic security investigations that in some cases did go beyond constitutional boundaries. And then FDR took advantage of a new technology, radio, to do the fireside chats that, again, established a stronger direct relationship with the American people uh, than most of his predecessors had had. And that built up such support that he did feel, after his success in the 1936 election, that he could try and subordinate the judiciary to the executive branch through the court-packing plan. That plan failed, although he did eventually get a pro-New Deal court. Um, Trump fits that pattern because through tweets and in a way that, again, has been far more successful and impactful than most of us political scientists expected, he has established a direct relationship with his constituencies where he can effectively discredit the rival accounts in the mainstream media, what he calls fake news, and he keeps them fired up in support, and that gives him confidence that he has political clout that can enable him to get away with possible violations of the separation of powers. I think that the constituency he mobilizes uh, with the tweets is not ultimately going to be strong enough to allow him to do so. But insofar as a new medium of communication has created a new connection between the president and popular constituencies, and this has encouraged the president to push the boundaries of the separation of powers, that is a pattern that we've seen before, maybe never Never quite so dramatically as right now. On Tuesday, May 9th, President Trump fired then-FBI Director James Comey. In anticipation of damaging leaks, which have dogged his administration, President Trump suggested in a tweet that he had recordings of past conversations with Comey, a statement which many viewed as a threat. Smith discusses the firing, as well as the importance of recorded presidential correspondences. Lyndon Johnson introduced the taping system into the White House, and a lot of people uh, didn't know they were being taped in the Oval Office. Nixon continued it, and then the notoriety of the Nixon tapes in the Watergate investigation has meant uh, that subsequent presidents certainly haven't acknowledged that they were taping people uh, without those people being aware that the conversations were recorded. In this case, as with many of Trump's tweets, it's very difficult to interpret with confidence uh, what he was doing. Uh, he clearly wants to get 
Comey, whom he criticized as a showboat and grandstander, unlike the modest demeanor that the executive branch tries to set as its dominant tone. Uh, He wants to get Comey off the stage. That's clear. And so the most obvious part of the message is he's telling Comey, don't leak anything confidential. I doubt that the tweet alone would be a basis for intimidation that could get Trump into legal trouble. But again, he has a whole series of these statements that at least appear uh, to suggest illegal actions or improper motivations. And though he hasn't done anything yet that I think is likely to get him indicted or convicted in any court, the repeated instances of this kind of behavior raises the uncertainty of whether sooner or later he is going to cross the line and then we'll have a constitutional crisis. A developing story now from the New York Times. They're reporting President Trump asked FBI Director James Comey to shut down the investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Now, it reportedly happened during an Oval Office meeting in February and was documented in a memo that Mr. Comey wrote shortly after the meeting. Roger Smith. Two days after we initially spoke with Smith, it was reported that Comey kept detailed notes on his meetings with the president. In one such memo, it is alleged that the president tried to intervene in an active investigation. We asked Smith about the significance of this new information. Well, this issue has certainly escalated the controversy if it looks like the president was bringing pressure to end the investigation then the concerns about obstruction of justice are heightened. The concerns might not lead to criminal charges, but they might lead to a broader political sentiment that he is acting improperly in office, is unfit for office. And two things are striking in the wake of this. The first is that it does appear that a number of administration officials in the FBI and the intelligence agency, and apparently in the White House itself, or at least close to the White House, they are leaking information to indicate that the president has acted improperly, apparently out of a deep sense that he is not conducting his office properly. And as a result of this barrage of stories, there is mounting concern even amongst Republicans in Congress with both the Senate and House Intelligence Committees saying that they want complete records of these discussions from uh, between the president and Comey from the FBI, uh, indicating they're willing to use subpoena powers to get this information. And one Republican congressman, who admittedly is not a fan of President Trump, has said that if there is evidence of an effort to uh, obstruct justice, pressure the investigation, it will be grounds for impeachment. So the president is in a lot more hot water than he was a couple of days ago, and the separation of powers um, situation is uh, approaching a much sharper constitutional conflict. Do you believe if this continues to escalate that Republicans at some point will begin to distance themselves? Yes, some are already doing so. and. At this point, Trump has, for more conventional establishment-type Republicans, pretty much given them all they want from him. He won the White House for them. 
Uh, he appointed Neil Gorsuch to uh, the Supreme Court. If he proves to be a political liability, they could try to push him out and replace him with Vice President Mike Pence, whom they are more comfortable with to begin with. And so he's definitely in a vulnerable position if any of these charges prove to have any staying power. This has been a presentation of Penn Arts and Sciences. Special thanks to Roger Smith from the Department of Political Science.